Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Xvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Did you know that only 13% of salespeople worldwide think they get helpful coaching from their sales leaders, but 83% of the leaders of these reps think they are awesome at coaching? Head to xvoyant.com for the world's largest sales leadership resource center. Discover best practices in sales leadership, common pitfalls to avoid, and learn how to become a legendary sales leader with every rep on your team. Xvoyant will help you move past focusing only on your number and is your partner to start building a dominant sales dynasty. The Xvoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones can drive purpose-driven activities in a way that will create new normals with every single rep on your team. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Xvoyant can help you create a sales dynasty faster than you ever thought possible. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we've got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by James Say What Sales Buckley, Business Development Director and Brand Ambassador for Ringlead. James helps lead a team of 15 salespeople, help Ringlead clean, protect, and enhance company data. Ringlead helps solve the dirty data problems of large enterprises, Fortune 500 organizations, and small businesses worldwide, and they are growing extremely quickly, and I cannot wait to learn more about that from James as we talk today. James is an active member of the sales community, and if you don't already follow him, you will want to by the time you're finished with this podcast. He's a terrific salesperson, a leader in our sales community, and a great friend of mine that walks his talk. James, you know I've been excited to get you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, Rob, I couldn't be happier to be here. I'm really happy with everything that you're doing on this show. I'm so glad for all the success it's been. It really puts a lot of faith in the sales community for me. Well, it's because we've got great guests like you that are happy to come and share their blueprints and and uh, and help other sales leaders and future sales leaders uh, not have to reinvent the wheel every time, right? So that, that, that's oh, yeah. why. So thanks for joining us. Well, why don't you start by telling everybody about Ringlead? Uh, You've you got a great company that you're part of. I, I was watching you make the decision to join them. I remember what that was like as you made the decision to move there. Can you yep. introduce Ringlead to our, to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I'm very blessed to be a part of the Ringlead team. They are asserting themselves as an authority figure. We are asserting ourselves as an authority figure in the data management space. So we do, we have a wide array of values that we offer for the data community, the sales community, and the business community in general. So we do things like lead lead generation, uh, duplicate removal and prevention in Salesforce, uh, normalization, standardization of data, data enrichment, lead routing, and we work primarily 
uh, with the Salesforce ecosystem and other CRMs with our lead generation tools. So we have some that are agnostic, and then we have some that are very specific to Salesforce and Marketo and Eloqua. So the long of the short of it is that it is a wide array of data value that we want to bring to the community, and we're constantly building new tools to support that model. Hmm. And you're doing great things. It's a, it's a huge need that the, you know, the more you do, the more the problem uh, presents itself, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's not this thing that you just close your, turn a blind eye and hope it goes away. It's, well, it's a real problem. Seems to never end that like there's always another solution that needs to be found for data and data is ever changing. It's not something that is static in business. So if that's true, that means an entire position, a whole team maybe needs to exist for data management and the way that data is managed between the three primary platforms that companies use today, namely CRM, marketing automation platforms, and sales enablement tools, if, if, if that is the backbone of every business, the data passing between those systems is crucial for growth and scalability, especially in SaaS, where the predictable revenue model is so prominent. Yeah, and and we could get into that, and we and we won't. But I, I love that you guys are doing that because this is one of the most common things that I hear as a sales coach and a sales coaching technology is, you know, we just don't believe that our data is any good. I I, I hear that all the time. <laughs> and you know what? It probably isn't, and that's okay. That's the thing we have to really be okay with. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Now, as we, before we get into like your blueprint and what's made you have so much success and, and really have a fast trajectory. I mean, you've, you've really done some amazing things in a pretty short period of time since you've really gotten into the sales world. One of the things I learned, uh, with all of our leaders, James, is the story that got you into sales is different with everyone. We're in a world today where there's a lot of people that actually are picking sales as a career while they're in college and taking courses at like UT Dallas and getting their degree in sales. Yep. That's like you and me. That's not how it went. Can you share your story and how you ultimately got to ringlead? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, my story actually, I was in sales before I wanted to be, I guess, like the way that most people end up in sales. It's like a default profession when you don't have an education. So I went back to school, uh, and I wanted to get a degree in journalism. I wanted to write for newspapers and it turned out that was a dying industry. So here I am. 30 years old, a non-traditional student in college, sitting in classrooms with 19-year-olds as the old guy in the group, right? Uh, and I'm sitting there getting my writing degree. And I, I, it turns out that I learned that writing persuasive emails is far more profitable than writing articles in newspapers. So, so when I graduated, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I had a, a long, I had a 15-year career behind me in the kitchen. I was a cook for years. Uh, so I was on Facebook thumbing through and uh, a friend of mine, Alan Brady, who I went to college with, and I wrote on the school newspaper, he had posted that Cirrus Insight, which is a platform that integrates Salesforce with your inbox, was looking to hire sales reps. And I had done door-to-door sales before business and residential. So I knew what that was. It was a hustle. And I was okay with leaving the sale, the cooking world to go back into sales, which I had done a couple times in the past. And I knew that I was good at it. So he introduced me right away and said, this is my business development director, Zach Metters, at the time. Zach and I met for lunch. We had a couple of meals together. I came to the office and did like a, a mock interview. 
Um, and before I knew it, I was being offered the job, and that was the beginning of my SaaS career. I had no idea. <laughs> or four or five years ago, I had no idea what Salesforce was. I didn't even know the term SaaS. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, completely out of the baptism by fire, getting thrown in the deep end of the pool, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I trained for a couple of months, and if I if I go back in my memory, I very clearly remember my first week of calling, and it was just the grind of like pick up the phone, click a button. We were using a, a product at the time called Dial Source, and it was essentially just yeah. flowing phone numbers. Every time I would hit a disposition, another person would pop up and I would just start talking. Hey, this is James from Cirrus Insight. Did you know you could integrate Salesforce with your inbox? No, I didn't. Oh, wow. We should definitely show you that. Are you free next week? It was like so easy for me to do. Um, and I remember I got a, a, a message from Google Hangouts from Aaron Riley, who would later become sales director at Cirrus Insight. And he was an AE at the time. And he said, man, you, I hear you through the wall. And I was like, oh, man, I'm really sorry. I talk loud I'm on the phone. I, I apologize. And he was like, no, you sound great. You'll be a leader here in no time. Um, and that was kind of my, my first positive affirmation that what I had kind of matched this industry. What I, what I was kind of matched this industry. And that, yeah. that was the beginning of my SaaS career. I would, I would, two years later, I would begin to say what sales brand. And now it's, you know, I've, I've accumulated about 16,000 followers across platforms uh, like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, uh, um, LinkedIn, of course, is a heavy one for me. Yep. And we're getting ready to start hitting the YouTube audience now. Like I've never even considered YouTube. So that's Ringlead's kind of bringing that into fruition. And the way I got to Ringlead from Cirrus Insight was that I was also doing sales training. A couple of years later, I started just, you know, reaching out to other sales teams and saying I could come in and, and join your meetings or I could talk to you about what you guys have in place and tell you what works for me. People just started gravitating towards that. And I did a quick training when I went to the world tour in New York at Ringlead. Um, and after the training, they were like, we should just bring you on board and you could just be our brand person. I love, I love what you do. And I, you know, it took me a little while to, to decide what I wanted to do. And I had some other opportunities in, in front of me at the time. And in the end, it was like, well, you know, shit or get off the pot kind of like you've got to make a decision here. So I made the decision. I went with Ringlead and I'm very happy that I did. It's, uh, it's definitely been a real, a real pleasure of a ride so far. What I love about your story, dude, is that you are the great example of sales will give back to you what you put into it. I mean, I've watched your work ethic. I've watched your authenticity and I've watched you have great success. I mean, uh, you shared some great stories with me at Dreamforce about how you were able to build networks and connections in ways that are just really unique. And guys <laughs> like you that are willing to put stuff into it, you get success ridiculously fast if you're willing to do the work. Is that a fair thing to say? It is absolutely, but it has to be selfless work. You yes. Can't, yeah, it, it it can't be about you. I, I think I said when we were warming up for this podcast, I said like we're we're not able to afford an ego as a true sales professional. You have to set that aside. It is not about you or the money. It is about how you deliver value to people in a large community and gain attention for that value so that the people that are able to actually get the value out of you come to you. And that's how you build a presence that people say, I have to be connected. We have to talk. I need what you have. Like I think John Barrow says it really well when he says, I really want your business, but I don't need it. 
Yeah, John's a good friend of both of us, and that's a really good quote of John. It's a great attitude. In in fact, this is a good thing. There's there's at least three or four things that you and me have to get into in the time that we have. Yeah. And and I want to – we're going to be conversational, obviously, but I also want to drive the conversation around these three or four things. Let's start with – you and I have had some killer conversations over the last couple of years. We have. I mean, yeah. in a lot of different environments. It seems like we show up at the same place all the time. <laughs> I love your blueprint for success. I think we should start with that because that's going to drive how we get into these other three or four things. Can you start with what your career has kind of helped you find as a, a blueprint for repeatable success? Yeah, absolutely. So it's actually a, a pretty specific blueprint. It's very easy to follow. I know that a lot of people probably think that about their plans. They're, most of the time they're like, man, that's not easy to follow at all. This actually is. It just requires you to be very self-aware. Okay. So, so there's four key pieces to what I would consider great drivers of success as a sales leader. Know your weakness. Know where you need work. If you don't know that, it's hard to improve there. And there's always places that you need work. We are human beings. We're full of flaws. That's our nature. So we have to know that we can't do it alone, and we need to find and surround ourselves with people that will help us better our weaknesses. So that's the first one, right? And then number two, constantly self-audit. I am forever saying to myself, is it me? If it's me, do I, can I change something? If I can change something to affect the outcome of something, just change that thing. Don't consider it part of who I am, change that thing right now, and that outcome will be different. Uh, and then the third one is be open-minded and always learning. I have never met somebody I couldn't learn something from. When I moved after three and a half years at Cirrus Insight over to Ringlead, I was immediately put in Las Vegas at the Adobe Marketo Summit last year. Well, or this year. So perfect. That's awesome. I love being there. But I found myself saying to a lot of the people that came by the booth and met with me, no, I don't know anything about that. Would you tell me more? (laughs) Right? And that's (laughs) something you don't typically hear at an expo show when you meet someone that's at a booth, right? But I was very willing to admit that I don't know much yet and I would love to learn. And that helped me gain lots of conversation. And that's what it's all about. And then the fourth and final thing is know that you know nothing. No one can know everything. And we live in a world where everyone knows everything because it's all available at our fingertips. It's our pocket. And, so, and how many people want to talk to the know-it-all salesperson? By the way, oh, sales nobody, nobody, nobody wants to know. <laughs> I've never met anybody that was super pumped to talk to someone that's going to talk at them instead of to them. <laughs> Without a doubt, and, and it seems so obvious, but we fall into that trap. So, I've written these four down. And it's really good. I think this is a great place for us to start this conversation, James. Know your yeah. weaknesses. Consistently, constantly self-audit. Be open-minded and always learning. Know you are nothing. Okay, yeah. so I want to dive into these just a tiny bit to start, and then we'll see yeah. if we go deeper because there there are a few other topics. I like this a lot because you're right; it is something that you can you can do. What stops people from doing this though? Like your first one, know your weaknesses. Any any best practices on figuring out what your weaknesses are? Because I think, at least for me, James, tell me what you see. People will pay lip service to it, but sometimes people don't really want to look in the mirror. I found that when things don't go well people more often look out the window than they look in the mirror. How do you adopt the look in the mirror mentality? Yeah, so it's always easier to point the finger elsewhere and say it's because of. Anyone that's ever failed at anything has probably defaulted to that 
right away. But later, after some time, they make a change, no matter what that change might be, and they try again, and it goes differently. So when it comes to identifying your weaknesses, you need to surround yourself with people that are willing to sh- to share them with you. Uh, I-, I currently work with someone that will sit me down and say, hey, you know, I've noticed that it- you make really quick decisions. Hmm. You, you, you don't, you don't think very long before you, you react and that can sometimes come off the wrong way. So now that's something that I am to number, to, to number two's point, constantly self-auditing myself on. Every time I get asked something now, if it's something I know right off the bat, that's, that warrants a quick decision. But if it's something that's maybe worth a little research before I answer or worth a conversation with somebody else that knows that space more, I'm quick to say, let me get back to you on that. And I'll do a little bit of thinking on it. And that makes me extremely open-minded to my third point. They all kind of feed into each other. Yeah, they're really intertwined, aren't they? They are. It's it's very specific, as I said before. Uh, and then the last one, no one can know everything, no matter how great you are at Googling on your smartphone, you still have to look it up before you can just spit out an answer. And sometimes that response that you see first on your phone isn't accurate or isn't from a credible source. So you have to question that all the time. I will often say to people that whip out their phones when I give them a statistic or when I tell them, oh, you know what I've learned is this. They'll be like, that's not true. And they'll pull their phone out and I'll immediately say, oh, you read that online. Well, then it must be true. And they're like, oh, that's funny, right? Because it's not all true. Just because you read it on an article doesn't make it true. It makes it someone else's perspective sometimes. So you have to know the difference between those things and realize that incoming perspectives change the way you react. We all make decisions based on a veil of ignorance. That's more of a philosophical term, but you get the idea. <laughs> yeah, I do get the idea. And you just you know, caused me to think when I asked you, you know, how do you adopt that? Your first uh, go-to was that you actually had someone that you would listen to that there was someone that was willing to give you the feedback that might not be fun to give. That's right. Uh, I, I, as, as I think through my career, James, the same thing, there are two specific people that I can think of that were willing to have conversations with me that maybe others wouldn't, or maybe that I wasn't willing to listen to. Is it important to find those types of mentor or coach type relationships that you can trust and count on throughout your career? Shoot. Huge, huge benefit finding those people that are going to challenge you and tell you that you don't know anything about this. And just, just James, I can't tell you how many, how many important people in my career have said, James, don't talk for a minute. Just listen. Let me get through this. And I end up jotting down a bunch of notes and putting a bunch of what they've said into my routines and flows. And my life has improved tenfold since I started the, doing this with multiple people. It may come from somebody that is not where you are. It doesn't always have to come from a coach, but you can take it as a coach mentality and learn that person because they've been through something you haven't been or because they've had an experience that you've never experienced. No one can know everything. We all know nothing in compared to the person that's standing next to us. So there's, I'm going to, I promise I'm going to get off this and get on the other stuff, but I'm really, (laughs) I'm really intrigued with this because I try hard to make sure that everything we talk about is like, I always want to answer the so what questions for our listeners. Yeah. So right now I'm sitting here going, okay, so what are my listeners thinking? Because what you're saying makes perfect sense. Two things. What if I'm listening right now and saying, man, I haven't found that person. Any tips on how to find that kind of a relationship to help to help you develop those skills and and, and have that awareness? Any any best practices there? And then then the second one. Yep. Do you ever see? I'll give you both. You can answer in whatever order, but I'll forget if I don't, James. So sorry. Uh, 
does that ever turn off? Do you ever need to stop? Do you get to a point in your career where you say, I've learned that lesson? Do you, do you need to keep finding those people to help you go through every phase of your career? Those two questions. Absolutely. So first, the first part of your question is actually really simple. Take the person that you're closest to, the person you spend the most time with, and tell them that you need to be better at self-auditing and can they help you. I promise you're going to get pushback at first. They're going to be like, uh, I don't know. Um, it sounds like a bad idea. But then they're going to say things to you later like, hey, not to second guess you, but remember we had that conversation about how self-auditing was something you wanted to do? Here's my two cents. This is just my two cents. And you can take that two cents and go, well, I never thought of it that way. Or I guess I didn't see it from your perspective. It happens all the time. And then you can change the way you react in the future. You can make that shift. But it all starts with that self-awareness of being able to tell somebody, being strong enough and courage, courageous enough to tell somebody you're close to, I need to make some changes, and you're the person I spend the most time with. Help me. That person mm-hmm. should, if they truly care about you, they should be on board with telling you things that they pick up on or things that bother them. They've known you the longest. They spend the most time with you. Get the feedback, right? We can't make changes without information. That's really good advice. That's a great tactic. Thank you for sharing that. And then the second part of your question was, I think, um, uh, refresh my memory. I'm sorry. I, yeah, no. Would, is that a is that a career long thing? Do you find people that help you yeah. get feedback or or help get you that mentoring or that self assessment or that weaknesses that you got to turn into strengths? Yes. In your career, because again, for me, the guys that helped me at the beginning of my career were super important. But it was different guys. Like I'm thinking, you know, a very different guys that have helped me as I've become a CEO and a founder of a company were different than the ones that helped me get great at sales, which were also different than the ones that got helped me get pretty good at sales leadership. Do you see yep. what I'm saying? Absolutely. And if you're the type of person that's looking to accomplish a short-term goal, that's probably how you would look at it with a stopping point. But once you start doing this and you start self-auditing, it's just like taking on a fitness challenge. It's a lifestyle change. And you can't stop doing it. You're always asking people you're close to to self-audit you. Hey, do you think I'm a little too aggressive, uh, vague, um, well-spoken, right? Do you think I'm pompous, right? These are things that help you grow as a person. And as a result of growing as a person, you grow as a professional as well. Well, I like that. As a result of growing as a person, you will grow as a professional. And, And so that's a good way to wrap this because does that then become part of the role of a sales leader is to help them grow as a person so they therefore will grow as a professional? Is that Does that dovetail into for leaders that are listening your job is to actually help be one of those people for your reps, right? Absolutely. I preach a very simple formula. It's actually a mathematical formula that's centered Let's on go to it. That's where I wanted to go next. Let's go. I- <laughs> All right, so so this is great. I Because this blueprint is so specific, there is a mathematical formula I've come up with that works for me all the time in all of my interactions in life, in business, in sales, everything. It is 100% universal, right? In all of my actions, all of my touches, all of my things that I do with my time in life, I follow this formula. It is C plus P as in Proctor. P to the third power equals S, success. C plus P to the third power, or or P cubed if you're a math person, equals S, success. That's the formula. And what it stands for is, in everything you do, you must be courteous, professional, patient, persistent, and it will always lead you to success. All right, let's dive into that. So C, (laughs) 
plus P to the third power equals success. That's right. And when I write success, I put a little a little dollar sign in the S, right? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. All right. So how do we operationalize that? How do we take that from being an interesting idea? How do we operationalize that? Yeah, so think about what outreach typically looks like today from your average sales rep. These are the types of messages you get. The first one is usually relatively informative, but also kind of vague. Hey, my name is, and I'm with, and we do, and I'd like. Well, that's kind of self-centered. The next touch, a couple days later, is a phone call. That message is usually pretty lax. Hey, so-and-so, this is James. I'm looking to connect and talk about X, Y, and Z. Give me a call. My cell is. Okay, fine. By the time you're at your eighth, ninth touch, you're like did you get run over by a bus yeah are you are are you yeah they're terrible right if you or or like i'd appreciate a response that's not very courteous that's not very professional right so so you take away from you know all of those things i just mentioned right so my my persistence is extremely courteous professional and patient i end emails with things like i'm on your time See, I love this, James, because <clears throat> I get a, I mean, we all do. We've got, there's a thousand SaaS companies that have thousands of SaaS reps and everybody's trying to sell something. And that's right. I don't, I don't begrudge that. I mean, I think we're in the greatest profession in the world. Oh yeah. But you have this attitude that no one owes you anything, which I love. Yep. yep. I believe that a lot of the reps feel like, Hey, if I've, you know, gone through these eight or nine touches, you owe me some kind of response. And that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what makes that lack of professionalism. I'm like, no, you know what? If you're interesting to me or if, if it seems like you're going to solve a problem that I care about or achieve a result I care about. Yep. Yeah, but I don't owe you anything, right? That's right. That's right. Don't come at me like I owe you something. And I think there's a lot of shady tactics that are born from that frustration. Like it goes from how can I provide value to how can I fool this person? How can I trick yes. them doing what I want them to do? Yeah. Yeah, dude. That's exactly right. And, that, and, and, and that's what gives our great profession a black eye sometimes. Well, and, it's the reason people run away screaming from us when they see us approaching them at the car lot. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, don't sell me that. I just want to buy it. Don't sell it to me. I just want to buy it. (laughs) No, you're you're right. Yeah, like whenever someone asks you in a retail, when a salesperson, if you're at a retail organization, can I help you? What's the most common answer? No thanks, just looking, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we push them away. So yeah, I get that. So I, I think that attitude is is a good one. And so so operationalizing C plus P cubed equals success. That's right. Um, can you give me, can you give us like some stories of how you've, you've, you've talked about operationalizing a bit. Let's talk through maybe some examples of how that's helped you. And as our leaders listen to it, I, I want to start giving them a little context around how they yeah. can maybe make this part of their game plan. Yeah, I actually have a really specific example where this formula helped me. And it was a few years back. I've been employing this for some time. But uh, I spoke with a lady. She was fantastic. Her name was Debbie. I uh, won't mention any companies. Debbie was super fun to talk with. We ended up connecting because we both were cat people. Um, so I made a, a post. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> awesome. I, made, I, I did a post. I did a post. I think it was on Facebook or Instagram. And I, I'm a cat person. I have two cats. And the, it, she ended up liking or commenting on my cat photo. And I looked her up from Instagram. I looked her up on, on LinkedIn. Um, and her and I connected right away and she started sending me videos. I, I, I sent her a message saying, I'd love to connect sometime. And she was like, Oh, I'm a little bit busy. And she sent me a video of 
uh, you might remember it. It was like horses chasing cats, right? Like cat herding. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember, but you're making me laugh. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so anyway, we, we ended up connecting and I pitched her my product and she really loved it. And then she got pitched by one of my competitors. Her and I kept talking, kept talking. She eventually hit me back and said, I decided to go with the competitor. My initial reaction as a salesperson that would have been frustrated after months of all this hard work would have been a little bit aggressive, right? But instead, I was like, no worries. I appreciate the honesty, and I appreciate the transparency. Let's stay in touch. It's been great being connected. I set a task six months later to reach out and say, how's it going with competitor? All I sent her was, how's it going with competitor? Six months later, she reached back out to me and said, I'm canceling my contract. How do I sign up with you guys? Boom. That was a $70,000 account. Nice. Right? So when you look at it from a perspective of how will I react to this, most salespeople probably would have been pissed off that they wasted the time and they didn't get the closed off, and they would have wrote that company off, not interested, lost opportunity, and never spoke to her again. But instead, I just put a task out for six months to say, how's it going? And she was quick to give me the feedback on how it was going. Even if she'd have gave me, it's going great, I love it, I probably still would have said, let me know when your contract is up. I'd like another shot at the title. <laughs> right, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, when, so when you look at that courteous and patient and persistent and professional approach, it ended up landing me in a seat of closing that deal at 70K, even though she originally said no to me. Okay. So I want to make sure we got it. C equals courteous, right? Right. And then the three P's. Persistent. Persistent. And professional. Okay. I'm writing all this down. It's, and then the last equals the success in terms of success. opportunities. Yeah. Success. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's why we do yeah. the job. It's a, um, it's a beautiful system because it plays to the best things about human nature. So I'm looking at it. Courteous is an easy one to talk about. Um, though sometimes I bet you we may make the mistake where we think we're being courteous and sometimes we approach people in a way that we may unknowingly, uh, you know, rub them wrong. I don't think that's something that we need to worry about. Here's the one. I'm looking at you three P's. I got a, I got a question I want to get your take on. I, I'm really excited sure. to get your take on this now. Of the three P's, persistent, patient, and professional, the one that I want you to dive into the most, and uh, I can't wait to hear what your answer is, Persistence. How do you be persistent without being a pest? Yeah, that's right. I've been called pleasantly annoying. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's I'm a big called... deal, right? I mean, that's a big deal. Per- persistence, per- professional persistence without being a pest. I, I, I think that's part of our game, and we, we have to find ways to continuously be persistent without being like a different P, pissed off. You know, why the hell aren't you getting back to me, right? Yeah. Well, some of that is because most sales reps are not employing an omnipresence. They're finding a method of communication, and then they're gluing themselves to that method of communication. If it's phone calls, that prospect is getting called every day. If it's emails, it's another email like, hey, hurry up and sign. When are you going to make this decision? I really need this money. Let's make this happen. You're hurting my quota. This is affecting my my day-to-day routines. Seven, eight, nine touches like that get really annoying for your prospect. Not only that, they're not they're not owe you anything. You're you're putting your pressures on them, and no one wants your pressure. They have enough of their own pressure. So the persistence part has to be things like, have we had any movement? Is there anything that I can do to help move this along? 
Is there someone else we need to roll into the conversation? Are you stuck in procurement? Is there a security review that we need to do? These are all great questions, touch points to ask along the way to get that conversation moving that are quite persistent and relevant to the process, but also not very aggressive and not very, I'm going to put my pressure on you. But I'm looking at your blueprint right now and writing it out on a piece of paper as I listen to you. And we got a couple thousand people listening to you right now, probably where they're either driving in their car or they're on their treadmill listening to you. My advice to the listeners, do what I just did. Write it down. Instead of just C plus P cubed equals success, write down courteous plus persistent, patient, and professional equals success. Because I'm looking at your three. You got to have all three for it to work because if it's just persistent, it's not going to be pay- – and you don't have patient, that's when you got the pissed off side. Yeah. If it's just persistent, but you lose some of your professionalism, you're going to lose. But if you can have persistence done in a way that's grounded in patience and professionalism, that's what makes it work, right? It sure does. And the, the C is so important. Everyone comments when I tell them this. They comment about the C like, oh, courteous, that's such a strong word. It and is. I think it's – strong because salespeople historically for the last, I'm going to say decade, are not noted for being very courteous. We're, we're noted for being quite aggressive. Uh, we're very liberal with our words. We are extremely callous with the way we react to comments. In some cases, we don't even let you finish a sentence. We're already on our response before you get it out. That's not very courteous. You're not really listening to someone else. You're hearing them, but you're not listening to what they're saying. Yeah. That's good, dude. That's, that's really good. I'm glad that we spent the time on that. I, I encourage everyone to write that down and as, as a leader, start building activities or, you know, uh, ways that you can execute that. I would imagine that's how you operationalize that. You start creating, you know, activities or playbooks. If you, playbooks are a word that's overused. I'm starting to get tired of it because it's so used right now that I think that it's losing its impact. Mm. Um, but like, how do you be courteous? You know, how do you be persistent? How do you be patient? You know, what are the things you do to do that in that way? I think that's really good because I, I know you well enough, James. You know, a lot of it's natural because it's who you are, but you've, you've, I'm going to guess we haven't talked about this yet. So tell me if I'm wrong. You have thought through each of those and you know how to execute that for yourself and for the people that you're working with, you're able to help them execute in a way that operationalizes those four things, right? I do. It's definitely part of my training. I think that if I had to choose four qualities of my training program, those would be the qualities that I focus on the most. Um, and I find that a lot of it comes comes down to how your people are going to interpret the process. Some people are very metric driven. You'll notice that this particular process isn't very complementary to metrics. Because metrics are very focused on time and speed. How much do I get to do? How much do I have to do in order to get this? This process is a lot more streamlined to the human nature part. So if you're a metric-based selling leader, if you're managing a sales team and your focus is 60 calls a day and 40 emails and 100 touch points total or more, but you yield no results from that, then what's the purpose of all those metrics? Clearly what you're doing is not focusing on the right things. I would much rather my people make 20 activities, but get three of whatever it is as an output, right? Don't burn my leads because you're in a rush to get through it. If you're trying to work towards a point where you don't have to work anymore today, that point is never going to come. Stop working (laughs) towards that point. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the wrong goal if you're in our business, right? That's right. It never stops. It's constant. So it's best to do it right instead of fast. All right, so that opens up another one. That, I mean, before I shift off, because I think it's a great oh, – you opened up another thing that was on my list. Anything about the formula that you want to make sure we talk about or how to operationalize it that we didn't? Yeah, if you've never heard this before and you have more questions about it, I love talking about it because I think it's important for the, the era of salespeople that are coming into our ecosystem now out of college. So please reach out to me if you want to talk more about it. All right. Cool. So that opens up the next thing. So you just talked about, you know, sometimes we confuse metrics and metrics are used the wrong way. I, I think you're dead on. In fact, you've, you've heard me talk about the, the seven, my, my seven deadly sins of sales coaching. And one of them is we, we uh, weaponize data. You know, we, we ambush people with data. I oh, love yeah. how you said we use metrics because I don't think metrics are, I think we got to have metrics uh, to, for, but it's got to be used the right way. And I think that a lot of times leaders weaponize data. And so I'm interested in your experience, what are the kind of top two or three things a leader needs to get right? And maybe on the flip side, what are the maybe, you know, one, two, maybe three kind of common challenges that you see leaders falling into? It's kind of a both sides of the coin question, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I think that the thing that leaders get right is that they really want to build a strong sales culture. I like that focus for leaders today because in 2019, it's night and day from what it was in the 90s. I remember, Gosh, yeah. I remember when the culture of sales was absolutely 100% metrics. There was no need to maintain a relationship at all. It's a numbers game. How often do we hear that? Oh, constant, constant. Oh, sales is a hustle. It's a numbers game. Good luck. You'll be working till seven every night. This was things that people were saying in the 90s about being in sales. Today, it's a lot more strategic, which is what I think they're doing wrong. I think, I think the other thing, like I love that they're creating a culture. What I don't like is that they're creating a culture that's metric driven and not, not quality driven. I, I am very quality over quantity when it comes to my sales practices. Um, Another thing that I think sales leaders are doing is I, I think that they're micromanaging a lot. I, I talk to a lot of sales leaders uh, because we yeah. sell to salespeople. So, of course, yeah. So, so when I talk to them and they, they talk to me about like their teams and I'm always trying to like meet their teams. Like I'm that guy. If I meet your sales leader and we have a great conversation, I'm then going to LinkedIn and connecting with your salespeople exactly. to say, Hey, I just talked to your sales leader, right? Build the relationship with the company, not the individual, right? Whoa, that's a good bite. I, let's make sure we come back to that. That's going to be a package. <laughs> I don't want to derail where you're going, but I want to put a placeholder there that you and me expect to go back and talk about that. Absolutely. That's fine. Um, so, 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 so where, where I was going with that was that I think that they're building these cultures, but I think they're building them in the wrong way. They're very metric focused. And then to boot, we've got this influx of new salespeople that are taking those lessons that, let's be honest, don't typically last very long. The average SDR works for 18 months as an SDR and then finds another job, whether it's within that company's that they started with is irrelevant. They move to the next role. Um, when they go to that next role, they're going to take all of those culture lessons that they learned from their very first sales mentor, their manager, their coach, and they're going to apply them to that new role and they're going to fail because that role does not have the same mentality, philosophy, the same processes, the same needs as their prior role, but no one did a good job preparing them for that. It totally makes sense, dude. That totally makes sense. 
Yeah, that's why you see people become AEs and then quit and move to another company. Yeah. Yeah, I dig it. I get it. That, that and then they stay at that company because the new culture is there, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, so, so it's interesting how the things you got to get right are always paralleled by the things that we most often fall victim to. So that's a good one. I like that yin and yang. Is there, is there any others that are, are, are top of mind with you as you think through like what's the top, that's one good thing they got to get right. And that's one common thing. Is there, is there any other kind of coin like that that has both sides that you'd want to talk about? Yeah, it's one that I struggle with every single quarter, every month. And that's finding the time to do one-on-ones with your people. You know, I, I, I've been a leader for a long time now, or I, at least what I would consider a long time, um, in, in both my past career and in this one. And I can tell you that the one-on-one time that you spend with people makes a difference because they get invested in making you look good. They, they want to do a good job for you. So they put the effort in to do a good job for you because you've taken the time out of your day to coach them, train them, give them skills, help them through their life problems, right? I can't tell you how many people, I can't tell you how many people call me and they want to talk to me about something that's happening in their personal life. They don't even want to talk about work. And because of that, you, they come to you with their work stuff. And you can really help to mold them better because they're bought into you as a leader. I think that is a huge one, James. And I think that it's one that, again, people pay lip service to. They know they got a coach. They know they got to do one-on-ones. And you've probably seen some of the data uh, we participate in a study that Keenan did with Gong. Um, 83% of the time leaders say that they're awesome at this one-on-one yep. coaching thing, but only 48% of the time do reps say it ever happens. And only 13% of the time do they say it's any good. Yeah. And I hear it all the time as well, dude. It's like leaders say, Oh yeah, yeah, we got this. We don't need this. But like the CEO above the sales leaders are like, no, you're not as great. And the managers, I mean, and the reps down below say we want more. How do we help though as a leader any advice to a leader to say, be careful. This goes back to your original thing, constantly self-auditing, right? I mean, this is why your original uh, formula comes. If the thing that we have a hard time doing is this one-on-ones, or if it's the thing that might have one of the highest impact, boy, that seems like it's something that we ought to make sure we're looking at closely. Is that fair to say? It is, but it also depends on whether or not your organization is structured so that you are both manager and individual contributor. If you are managing a team and building a team, that takes 100% of your time, effort, and everything. If you are an individual contributor as well as a manager, splitting that time up means that you will never do both to their full potential. Hmm. Well said. Love it. Yeah. Um, that's a good one. Let's, let's move off of that because I, I think that's good. I love that. Um, there's There's – at least a couple more things and we are freaking running out of time. I told you when we started, we were going to run out of time. Dude. <laughs> this is me off. Um, I, I think I'm going to jump to this one because I love your, like when I think of you, I think, I think of this, I, I think that you're this expert in outreach, pipeline, networking, lead gen, and whatever you call those, those things, you're good at that, man. And you. you think out of the box, you love it. You don't do it begrudgingly. I think you recognize it for what it is. It is the difference maker. The better you start, the easier it is to finish. It's probably fair to say. I like that. Okay. Um, I, 
I watch you go about that in a way that people actually enjoy meeting you, being prospected, learning about you. I, I don't see you pissing people off, okay? Any suggestions to the leaders listening to you right now on ways they can help improve that function on their teams? Yeah, absolutely. Um, realize that your people are your asset. You're, you're not an asset to them. I, this, there's so much, Rob. We could do this for days. <laughs> Without I think, a doubt, brother. I, I think, I think that, that, that sales, sales is a, it's an industry today where you've got to be mobile. You have to be able to move things around, adjust quickly. Change has to be something you are not daunted by. So, that there's there's lots of areas that are pretty specific that I think people tend to lose track of. So one, sales development is a huge point of contention right now. If you're a sales leader, you're probably teeter-tottering on whether or not sales development is something you want to continue to do. That's right. A, that's yep. a big conversation. Let me tell you that it's not that they are the beginning of a sales cycle. It's that they are both the beginning of a sales cycle and the end of a marketing cycle. Attribute that accordingly. Right. As long as we're making that shift and we're able to move them back and forth between those two teams, we're going to see providence there. They act as a conduit between marketing and sales. Right. Do you have that be managed? Do you think SDR, that function should be managed by sales and marketing? I think I think it should be its own department. Got it. Yeah, because it takes so many forms. You might have three SDRs. One of them does enterprise, another one does SMB, and the other does partnerships. Yep. Right. That's yep. great. I think that's a good way to segment that out. And you could look at how those affect the different departments innately, right? The partnerships definitely affects marketing and then SMB and enterprise affect sales, you know? Um, and then you have other people that are like jacks of all trades. They can do all kinds of stuff. And then content creation. Are you allowing your sales reps to build a brand? I just spoke with a car salesman yesterday who got laid off and is looking for his next car salesman job. And I was very quick to say, Go into your interview next time you walk into a car place and say, I'm looking for my long-term home to build my personal brand, and I promise you will get the job. Because it's not enough anymore to just go in and say, I want the job. That job is looking at you saying, what will you do for us? And you're looking at that job saying, will you support what I do for you? You're good. Say what, sales? You're good. (laughs) I want to go back to what I put the placeholder on, and then I want to finish the way I finished with everyone because yeah, we've run up on it, and I'm mad because you you're, you got a lot of depth, dude, which we I knew would be the case. Well, thank you. We're building a relationship with the company, not the individual. I think that you're on the gold with that. I think that's a mistake that lots of companies make. I think it's a mistake that lots of organizations make. I can tell you, me, with our organization, we sell to sales leaders, and sales leaders turn over every 19 months. And I, we've learned the hard way. You have to be building relationships through the company, not just through the sales leader, because if your only relationship is with that one person, you can be in trouble faster than you think. Well, sure. Any suggestions on how you build a co- company relationship rather than an individual relationship? Absolutely. I, so I preach an omnipresence. I believe that if you are in sales, you should too. It works to my advantage all the time when I connect across platforms. So if I've sent you an email, the next time I try to contact you, it's going to be a phone call. If I leave a message, I'm immediately defaulting to LinkedIn to send you a connection request. I'm then looking for your Twitter account so that I can follow you there. I am then going to Instagram and liking the pictures of your cats, dogs, kids, last beach vacation. (laughs) You will see me everywhere that you log in because the swipe right dopamine hit is very real when it comes to prospects. 
they don't even realize it happens to them, but they swipe right and respond on the platform that they choose to respond to you on. So don't silo yourself into this like, oh, I sent her an email and she responded, so every other week I'm going to send an email. No, that is not the way to do it. I think it's definitely more of an omni approach that is taking over what's what what actually works. So if you're looking to retain that customer, if you're if you're just selling like cruise tickets or something, then it's probably great to be able to just make a sale and then be like, yes, got a sale, right? We're back to the '90s. What about other people inside an organization? So you've you've got the sales leader. You know, how, how much, how deep do you need to go inside an organization with building relationships so you truly have a relationship Everybody. with the organization, not the yeah. person? Yeah, anybody, anybody, everybody, anyone at the company. Sometimes I'll connect with 20 or 30 people at one organization, and I'll notice the same four or five of them like my videos all the time and really connect with me and leave comments. So I'm really quick to reach out to them and say, I'd love to be in business with you guys. How do we make that happen? And they'll connect me to the right person, which, of course, I was already following. And I'll say, hey, I just spoke to this person, and they tell me you're the thumb person for Salesforce or data management. And they're like, yes, I am. I love your videos. I see that all my people like them too. It's such an organic thing that it's almost inevitable that they're going to talk to you. It's like a given because you've created value for their team, which is which brings me back to like how far are you willing to let your salespeople go to get that deal? Oh, no, I only want you to talk to decision makers. Well, great. That limits me to a metric-based system. Awesome. Thank you, right, for limiting my potential. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay, we got to stop on that, and i got to go to the rapid fire. We, we finish everyone three ways, man. You ready for it? Let's do it. Okay, number one, greatest sales leadership challenge, and how do you overcome it? Uh, Self-awareness, constantly self-audit. Good one. Self-awareness and the way you overcome it is constantly self-audit. That's right. Make it part of who you are, not just something you do sometimes. That's right. Yeah, there you go. I think that's perfect. Okay, number two. Uh, this is a relatively newer one, but we're getting such killer answers, and I, and I have some insight to how you're going to answer this. I can't wait to hear you share this with our, leader, our, our leaders right now. Uh, favorite interview question. When you're interviewing new reps, I mean, there's a lot of things, yes, but what's like one thing that you really have found helps you get insight to if they're a good fit or not? Yeah, why say what sales? How say what sales? That's my favorite interview question that I get asked uh, and what's different about your outreach style. So I guess I kind of have to. <laughs> yeah. So what's different about your outreach style. So that's, that's a good one. Okay. Last one. And then we'll wrap this baby up, man. Uh, we found that leaders are readers and it doesn't matter if it's a book or an audible or blogs or whatever. Yes. What is, what are one or two things that you would suggest that our listeners make sure that they're getting a hold of and, and, and processing and adding to their, their bag of tricks. Absolutely. I've actually got a good list here. So Gap Selling by Keenan was definitely influential for me. Love it. How good is that book? Oh, my. I've read it four times. I've got highlights all through it, and I think I get something new out of it every time. Kudos to our man Keenan. Love that guy. Absolutely. Shout out. Um, And then Selling from the Heart by my friend Larry Levine. Also Uh, great. Definitely great. Um, And I'm currently reading Growth IQ by Tiffany Bova. I have not read that. You're the first one to recommend it, so we will add that to our list. Yeah. Okay, that's it, brother. How do they get more of you? You're going to have people that want to continue the conversation, whether it's about any of these topics or maybe there's something else that's burning, you know, that they're going to want to reach out. How do people get more of you? How do they get more of Ringlead? How do they continue the conversation? 
Definitely. So I'm crazy in the sense that I give people my cell phone number. It's 305-632-6005. I prefer that you call me because I like to actually speak with people. No, by the way, he is not bullshitting you. I watched him do that at, at uh, Dreamforce and, and connect with a really important uh, scene <laughs> because they responded to that. I mean, guys, James is serious about that. <laughs> and then you can always email me. I love emails. Good emails. Don't send me cramp crap. Um, it's jbuckley at ringlead.com. If your email is automated, I will know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. This was a fantastic episode. High-paced, great depth. I love your approach. Congrats on your success, man. Thank you, my Personally, friend. but also what you're doing uh, at, for the team at Ringlead. You know, they're, they're, what a great story you've built for yourself. And thank you so much for being willing to share. Any, any like final thought before we sign off? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll end this one the same way I end all my content. If you're a salesperson, we're the same person. Bam. I am not going to add anything to that, James. Uh, thank you so much, my friend. And as always, happy selling. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? You know, I hope that when you listen to these podcast episodes, you're pulling out notepads and you're jotting down leadership tactics and ideas. If you're not, you got you to gotta start doing that because every one of our guests has some really good stuff. And as I've been taking my notes down to make these so what sections, my personal leadership game has changed significantly. I find it getting better every week as I talk to these great leaders. And, and James is no different. James really caused me to pause. There's so much richness in that whole interview. I mean, that's, that's such a good one. James, he's a living example of what happens if you just apply um, creativity, consistency, and authenticity, and, and what happens when you build a personal brand and apply it to the organization that you work with. And, and he's done some really cool things. And you know, I thought we would get on here and talk a lot about personal brand and stuff like that today. We really didn't spend much time on that because – James shared his blueprint, and I thought it was so, so good. There's really two things that stand out about that interview. Um, the, the first one, and probably the one that I'll come back to at the end, is this concept of the self-audit, self-awareness. You know, If you look at his four drivers for success as a sales leader of know your weakness, consistently self-audit, be open-minded and always be learning, and, and know that you know really in the big scheme of things, each of us individually aren't much. And none of us know everything. And that approach that no one knows everything is so, so big. Um, I've had a lot of guests get on and talk about culture. We've had a lot of guests get on and talk about don't let success uh, in the moment stop you from success in the future and have ego stop you from continuing to grow. Because it's true. Our, our markets change fast. Our customers change fast. You know, Competitors change fast. If we're still saying the same thing and doing the same thing that we were a year ago, we're probably in trouble. And so that means that our sales leadership approach needs to make sure that it's always changing. And our culture needs to be one of consistent adaptation, consistent improvement, consistent upgrades. And, and so I, I thought that was really, really important. And, you know, if you even listen to him talk about what's the greatest challenge that, that leaders face, greatest sales leadership challenge, you know, his, his, he didn't even think about it. It was self-awareness. That too many times we get this positional leadership and then we think we're the guy. And so my advice to you is to do what James said. Apply that, that kind of four-force model to make sure that you are always reinventing who you are and how you lead your teams.
Um, I love to C plus P cubed equals S. That's the reason that that was so awesome. Go back and listen to that and write it down like I talked about in the interview. Because those are the authentic things. You know, one of my things that I believe in and has really helped me in my career is intent is more important than technique. Technique is never more important than, than intent. And James is courteous, professional, patient, and persistent. Those are all like real intent things that will drive it so your technique doesn't get slimy and, and nasty and the thing that turns people away from you. And, and so I, I really like that. In fact, he's talked about how being courteous is the way that you can differentiate because people don't expect us to be courteous. They expect us to be aggressive. They expect us to be uh, chasing deals. And so when you can be courteous, that, that's, that plays to our human nature and the things that make people feel good. And so if we can be that and be authentic that way, I, I think James is really onto something. But I want to finish with something James talked about just a little at the end that I think is a big deal, where he said you have to do your one-on-ones. Most leaders, like, you know, they kind of shirk those. They, they mail them in. They say, oh, yeah, we talked, or, oh, yeah, this person's doing fine. Um, he made a statement that I haven't heard said this way, and I want to reiterate it. James said the, the one-on-one is the best way to have someone buy into you as a leader. You have to demonstrate that you are buying into them before you can expect them to buy into you. And that's so important. The only way that you're going to demonstrate you're buying into them isn't giving them a job. What happens after you give them the job is your way that you show that you're buying into them. Are you intentionally helping them improve? Are you helping them achieve their aspirations? Do you know their goals? Do you know uh, what things they need to work on? Are you that mentor that's helping them you know, with their self-assessment? And not because you need them to hit a number for you, but because... You want to help them become the best version of them at this part of their life. So I think that's a great way to finish. James is an awesome follow. If you're not following him, follow him. He has great content. He's coming up with new stuff all the time. Uh, he, he's done amazing things in our profession. I consider him a good friend. Grateful that he showed up on our show. Um, and, and so give him a follow. Find him on all the different channels. You'll be glad you did. Reach out to him. He loves to talk. Uh, he's authentic in wanting to help people. And as always, continue to uh, rate the show. Uh, send those questions into me. I love getting those questions and working them into the interviews. Uh, and, and not going to change the message. Don't worry. Just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exploit, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com